welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts, the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. You can follow me at hkizvani on twitter.com. Hello, my name is Phoebe. You can follow me on Twitter at PRHRoy. Uh, yeah, and uh, just before we get into it, uh, this is a free episode. Uh, so thank you for tuning in to that. Uh, we have lots of really good bonus content uh, in the archives and on our Patreon, which is the archives, uh, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast. Uh, five bucks a month, you help support the show and help us like just have a really fun time talking about all the normal things online. Um, and yeah, you just help us do what we do. And we really appreciate that if you support it already. And if you don't, maybe uh, consider it. Uh, it'd be good for us. I'm not going to like, I'm not, I'm not going to like beg right now, but you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how like, we'll see how the exchange rate, how, how that holds up. <laughs> do, do, do I need to add anything to you don't that? Have to. I, feel you like just... we've deba- I feel like we've debased ourselves enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a, we, we have a, a, a lovely back catalog of bonus content for you to listen to. <laughs> should you should you wish to consider supporting us through our Patreon it's a tough time in Britain and yeah support your local podcaster but specifically us Um, we're we're joined this week by uh, yeah we're joined this week by a really good guest uh, a really cool guest like someone who uh, whose work I have like read all the time when we like research the show and I imagine lots of listeners to our show uh, will have uh, heard of her or at least heard of newsletter Um, we are joined by Kate Lindsay who is the co-creator of Embedded uh, and yeah, just writes one of the best internet news, uh, internet culture newsletters out there. Uh, Casey, how's it going? It's it's going well. That's very nice of you to say. I'm classically bad at accepting compliments, but um, <laughs> it's going well. And I'm glad I'm glad to hear that um, it's a resource for you because sometimes it's it's so hard to picture that there's another person on the end actually reading it. <laughs> it's really yeah. I mean, like number one, I say it because I was interviewed by Embedded like a while ago. So you know, just they 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 pick real winners, but also. <laughs> Um, no, no, it's, 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 it's a really good newsletter and so much so that like in this episode, we're going to be talking about like three of your pieces, uh, <laughs> which is, yeah, just like, just goes to show us like how useful, like a lot of this stuff is. And we're going to be talking like, there's a piece that you wrote that actually like brought uh, you to our attention, uh, which was about the death of the influencer, or at least like what we think of the influencer. And I think that'll be a really interesting conversation in light of a recent video that came out. But, um, and you may be wondering what's the recent video that came out because there were many. Um, and one, one that, um, we, we alluded to this in the episodes last week, but we didn't really get into it because I don't think that we wanted to do another episode about wife guys. Um, (laughs) but unfortunately we have to sort of address it a little bit, um, because a really amazing video came out. Um, okay. So people will sort of know about the try guys or some people will know about the try guys. Um, they were former BuzzFeed employees. Full disclosure, I did know like one of them very briefly from my brief time working at BuzzFeed. This was before the Try Guys were like a thing, let alone a popular thing. Um, recently, there has been a bit of a scandal, so to speak, and scandal, I like you know in quotation marks, because one of the Try Guys, whose name is Ned, uh, cheated on his wife, um, yeah. and it made a lot of Try Guy fans phantom upset. And in any case, uh, after a period of silence from the other Try Guys, they released a five-minute video uh, in which they addressed what happened. I haven't, I didn't get time to watch the whole video today, um, so I, I have some thoughts about the aesthetic of it. But Kate, you watched <laughs> it, and you've probably followed this a lot more than us. Can you please like tell us what what's going on and like why? What like yeah? Can you just explain like the phenomenon of the Try Guys and is it an op? Yes. Is it an op? Now, listen, before any of this happened, I used to describe the Try Guys as like 
their YouTube thumbnails would provoke like anger from me just because they were so like <laughs> emblematic of a type of content type of era of yes exactly the soy face um <laughs> like so I really um I I knew they were a thing but I was like okay not for me um but then like <laughs> it I think like the drama of of something that is so delicious because it does not matter to you, I think is how so many people got pulled into this because I weirdly, I think I saw it on um, the Dumois subreddit. Like that's how we're already getting into that territory. Um, <laughs> and then I went from there to the Try Guys subreddit and people were pointing out how, um, you know, how Reddit will show you like how many members are in a subreddit and how many are currently online. And it was like equal, like everyone who is a member of the Reddit was currently online speculating, sleuthing, because the Reddit was where the sort of initial um, blurry videos and Instagram DM screenshots and all the evidence kind of accumulated that had people speculating um, before it was officially announced that Ned had been removed from the Try Guys and was being kind of sneakily edited out of videos mm. and then their video today they so after that speculation kind of really came to a head it spread from reddit to twitter to tiktok like everyone was talking about it even if they weren't try guys fans um both parties the try guys and ned released their own statements essentially confirming what everyone had been speculating but actually the video they released on the morning of that we're recording this or i guess that was late last night um confirms it a bit more explicitly that Ned was having a prolonged affair with an employee of the Try Guys. Right. Um, and that one of the notable things and the question that a lot of people had was how, how what did the Try Guys know and when did they know it? Like, um, like was this something they were aware of and are only addressing because it was getting public attention? And in the video, they kind of firmly say they didn't know about this until Labor Day weekend, uh, so early September, and they only found out because of the videos and screenshots and things from fans that it started to bubble up and be sent to them. And so one of the things that is most interesting to me about this whole thing is that it was kind of, it all. this only happened because of like their own, the, the passion of their own internet community. Right. Um, and then the internet obviously just, uh, exponentially uh imploded at all <laughs> mm. did they really edit him out of the videos yes i mean so this is something although they did they did in their video they admitted or i guess admitted sounds like they're at fault no they just like sort of clarified that yes there were videos that had gone up where ned wasn't in them and he had been in them when they filmed and this is one of the first things that clued people in that something was off because they would notice like this is how um, passionate the fans are they would notice like a someone's sleeve on mm. the corner of a frame um, but then they would notice that 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 the person who would have owned the piece of clothing of that sleeve like didn't appear anywhere else in the video and there was even like he had been edited out um, from between two people and they had kind of like scooched the backgrounds together but basically so the geometry of the background w was off in a video and compared to other videos and that was yeah. like how people realized that, oh, there was a person there and they've like scooched these two sides of a video frame together because normally the background looks like this. Um, so it was both elaborate on their end and on the fans end for kind of unearthing that this was happening. Like, I don't know how you would have, like, I, there's so many things I'm a fan of and I don't think I would have picked up on any of this were they doing the same thing. Wow, they did like, they did the Stalin meme thing on him. I was gonna say, they <laughs> well, it's, not, it's not a meme. Well, I know, but like, you know, it's... of Trotsky, it's... 
Well, but it is a meme. It is used as a meme format. It yeah, can be but a like meme. it wasn't. Cre- yeah, but it wasn't created for meme. Per- you know what? No, yeah, no I know. No, I know. Fun. I'm trying to be relatable to like. <laughs> You know, our audience. I'm trying. I'm the try guy here because I'm trying to be relatable. <laughs> well, while we're trying to be relatable, I guess we should uh, pretend that we knew who the try guys were before I last know. week, which I did. So many people were saying <laughs> that they had never heard of them. And you know what? I find I, I, I want to believe people at their word, but I'm like, how did you not know? But I guess only because they had been terrorizing me and youtube thumbnails for so long that i thought everyone had this experience of like seeing them pop yeah. up and being like no i i imagine because like i sort of remember very vague because they sort of came about just during the time that i had left or just like mm-hmm. around about that time and they were based it was around about the time that buzzfeed were trying to do tv stuff so they had like their kind of morning show uh or like their sort of news program and they were also trying to make some of their video people into more mainstream celebrities mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this, this was partly in reaction to some of the Buzzfeed employees feeling that they could kind of do better independently. And some of them did, a lot of them didn't, uh, one of them was called Baked Alaska and he did some stuff. Um, I don't know what happened there. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think the try guys were sort of like, they were people who were part of the Buzzfeed video team. And they were sort of put together just to kind of try out a, a format of video at the time, which was trying stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of just like, I did, uh, you know, I, I try, I, I can't remember what they're called, but like, I, I only ate like vegetables for 30 days and all that type right. of things. And because BuzzFeed had a lot of capital and because they had a lot of reach, like they became very popular. And I think then the Try Guys left BuzzFeed to like, Form their own company, which was called Try Limited. It was something Try. It was it was a very it's like second try. They yeah, called it right. second try. Second try. I only I didn't know this before. I only know this from diving into all of this yeah, in the yeah. past few days. <laughs> um, and I think that was yeah, sort of where story. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the thing with like YouTube videos in the same way that lots of these kind of things happen is that eventually people just like mimic the format. So what you'll mm-hmm. find at least on so, like on my YouTube anyway. Um, is I don't really see the Try Guys very much, but I certainly see people who imitate Try Guys videos yes. uh, in, this, in the whole format of like, I did X, Y, Z like for 30 days and this is what happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was describing them, because I often find myself in the position of having to describe whatever was just happening on the internet, I was like, these they were kind of part of the iconic class of why I left BuzzFeed YouTubers, like yeah. YouTube, yeah, who kind of that exodus that happened. Um, but now I have to admit, I was like, after I watched their video this morning, it's like, I don't think I will ever tune into their content. But my the perhaps unwarranted hatred I had of them based on thumbnails, watching their video, I was like, you know what? I think you guys are actually like probably nice. And like, it's yeah. not for me, but, you know, I think you I, I'd want to trust them. Mm. <laughs> I um. I, I, I didn't watch the apology video because I didn't have time mm-hmm. to do it today. So I just like. But I did actually, I did sort of see a screenshot and I did find the screen. And again, like thumbnails is such an interesting kind of way to like enter, like understand the Try Guys, because I think the thumbnail for this one was just incredibly funny. Uh, (laughs) You have like the three Try Guys who are sort of like sitting on a sofa um, and it's called What Happened, all lowercase with like a full stop. It's like, it's such a a YouTuber apology, um, like where the YouTuber is kind of like done something so... Ir- like so irreconcilable and so mm-hmm. awful that 
after like after yeah after like you know a month of sort of just being radio silent they then kind of upload a very short video to be like yeah well actually like it's not as bad as it's said like you know it was was Mm -hmm. a classic genre of like youtube non-apology but i don't think that seems like i imagine to try guys especially when it comes to something like an affair that involves one of Mm -hmm. their colleagues i don't know because like i've seen some things that were like you know did they really need to apologize for something like this especially if it was like consensual or whatever like how much of this is in reaction to like an overstated fan base and again that brings Mm -hmm. up the question of like is the try guy fan base a real thing or is that also an op um like <laughs> i think ultimately i keep coming out to that and i and i just wondered what your thoughts were well, but what both your thoughts were actually on the video if you've seen it but also just like the whole like aesthetics around it well yeah i think it was um a writer named tanya chen who did a tweet that i saw before i hopped on here that was like a checklist and it checked all like the youtuber apology boxes of, that you were mentioning like lowercase period somber thumbnail mm-hmm. um i think because I, I it was like about five minutes so it was longer than i thought we were gonna get um but uh and i think kind of what they're addressing is i think um it's one of those things where the the collective persona and their brand is so counter to the idea of infidelity and, you know, the power dynamic, the the thorny power dynamic that would come with like a boss dating his subordinate. Um, And, and so I think that is a little bit what they wanted to address that this was not a culture that they were knowingly, um, allowing or overlooking and i because i think that's where a lot of it, the betrayal especially from ned who was you know branded himself as a wife guy i think that is kind of the spot they were put in like they were this very wholesome group of boys who make faces in their thumbnails that i mm. don't like um and and this was just counter to that in terms of the fan base um this is how I, also how i learned they had such a passionate fan base because obviously there's people who um, get kind of hopped on board to like rubberneck at this whole thing. But especially on TikTok, um, th- these fans are real because people are being like, oh, like here are clues from early podcasts that I overlooked or like the stuff that w- requires a deep knowledge of the Try Guys mm. lore from their YouTube to their podcast to everything else. Um, like that's as much as like I've dove into this the past few days, it would take like these are genuine fans who already had access to the back catalog, like just mm-hmm. in their brain. Um, so they exist. I mean, I think it has been blown up and they have a lot of new eyes on them, but it sounds if if the core fans, um, they seem real, but they were just, we had no reason to really see what they were doing until now. <laughs> mm. I think, the, like the, like the first thing is I think that something which is very like very obviously the case when we're talking about the kind of the parasocial connection is the absolute worst thing that can happen to you is that your fan base decide that you're wholesome. <laughs> yes. It is, it is, I think the, one of the easiest, the easiest pedestals to fall from mm-hmm. wholesomeness. And it's quite often based on not really like not really anything at all like I've been going I've been because I've been going back and forth on what I think about this like my <laughs> I, I've said I've said this before on the show but having been in the past I think probably guilty of a certain kind of censoriousness and bloodthirstiness and like letting myself get kind of caught up in particularly kind of online directed mob fury like I'll cop to that like that's something that I've definitely let myself get 
get involved in in the past, I think there's very little that actually means that someone should have their have their life or mm-hmm. their like or their like means of making a living cut off. Like I I I sort of do mm-hmm. think that. I think you've got to do something really pretty fucking bad for it to for it to warrant it and like this guy will probably he'll probably be okay he'll probably leave it a leave it a kind of gracious period and then he'll do his and then he'll do his redemption arc but i also think that if you make your money in part out of presenting a particular Mm -hmm. view of your relationship that you you've you've got to have your affairs indoors right 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 (laughs) if if like if that's like if that's the level of hypocrisy that you're operating on and you know obviously um infidelity in long-term monogamous relationships is very very common like it's not it's not something which is necessarily makes much sense to say like that it is sign of like a kind of deep uh, immorality or deep mm-hmm. personal failings like it happens it happens all the time for all kinds of reasons and it's frankly nobody else's business other than the couple in question but then again if you are making money off the image presented off your relationship then the people who have paid that money you you can't you can't then complain that the people who have paid that money want to see some kind of meaningful return from mm-hmm. it. And that's the dark bargain that is struck between the content creator and their fan and, and their fans and their fan base. And I think that a lot of content creators leverage and weaponize the worst and most insane impulses in their fan bases when it's working in their favor. and they don't really think about what kind of behavior is being normalized and what kind of behavior is being unleashed uh, normalized i hate that word but they don't <laughs> they don't think they don't think about the kind of thing which is because it 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 gets very kind of it gets very kind of hunting dog like you know there's a kind mm-hmm. of there's a kind of you know great sound from the hunting horn like right at the you know right at the head and mm-hmm. then the, and then the dogs go in with the i saw a sleeve in this one like he's doing like I like I saw this guy out and about and I filmed him cheating on his wife. First of all, don't film someone cheating on their wife. Don't <laughs> do that shit. What what the fuck are you doing? Don't film people and put it on the internet. Just don't 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 do it. It doesn't matter if they're famous. It doesn't matter if you think you know them because you watch their YouTube videos. Don't don't do it like i've like i've got to i've got to a stage and i know that this is paranoid i know this is like slightly insane but like if i see like like a young person or like not even like a young person like you know someone like someone like my age like in the gym or something and they have got like their phone like right up to their face in a weird way i look to make sure they're not filming me mm-hmm. and i know yeah. that that's like maybe a little bit mad but it's nowhere near as like intrusive and upsetting it would be to like find like to find out that like your workout has been posted onto tiktok no that's like a legitimate um conversation that i've been seeing on tiktok because um the content that films strangers whether it's because you're going up to them and instigating something or you're observing something that you think is silly or interesting in the wild like there's Mm -hmm. been a big discussion about that because 
lots of people because all of us are on TikTok have bumped in like bumped into themselves and other people's videos and mm. sometimes they're like well I don't I'm not being presented accurately here mm. um and it's such a weird thing like luckily I haven't had that happen but like I have had the experience of I was on a run in the park and I passed a group of people doing something and I was like oh they're all like really focused what is that and then like a few days later I came across a TikTok that someone had made from what they were doing, which was like foraging, something very odd. But I was like, that's exactly I, like where they are and the things they're showing yeah. is what I ran by. That's so weird that like now I'm watching this moment I had through TikTok. Yeah. yeah. And like, and this is the thing like this kind of stuff like isn't new. Like I remember like getting into like a confront like a confrontation a long time ago because I caught some bloke taking a picture of my ass in a bar. Mm-hmm. and like his like and his and his response to being caught out was so odd because you could tell that that he sort that he sort of felt like aggrieved to be confronted mm-hmm. with it um and like he was almost like it almost hurt his feelings that i didn't find this immensely creepy thing to do um flat like flattering um and then he he said something he said something like I wasn't going to use it for anything and I was like I don't care what you're using it for delete it mm-hmm. yeah even weirder that just you just want it sitting on you're like what like you just want a collection I'm not going to look at it it's just you know it's just uh, it's just my pictures so nice. yeah so I think I think that I think that the the um the interest in it. Uh, represents the kind of the coalescence of like lots of like lots of kind of different elements people are very inclined to be uh, overly interested in the relationships of strangers I think that's something which is definitely um, definitely a kind of impulse Uh, and I think that there is this it's a little because it's a little because it's a little bit complicated because where does one draw the line between this kind of discussion and cele- and kind of more traditional celebrity gossip? Is it is it a question of uh, the difference in their salaries as a result of it? Mm-hmm. Like some like some like well known YouTubers as we, as we will like talk about like earn an enormous amount of money. Like maybe they're not in in kind of an A list actor category, but they're 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 okay so they make a lot of money out of um out of putting themselves and their lives into the public eye is it that they don't have um a kind of pr apparatus around them who is kind of protecting them from the worst excesses of gossip and fan culture but then again like demand for greater access to celebrities is is not is is like not again it's not a new thing that's been something that's yeah. been developing over the last 20 years and there's a kind of um aggressive dehumanization at play uh here i think where it's just assumed that if that the that the price of somebody appearing in public for any reason means this kind this kind of level of scrutiny but as i but as i but as i said um people who particularly kind of particularly content creators I think but also famous people do this as well absolutely um turn a blind eye to the more unhinged impulses of their fans as long as it's working in their favor I mean not to my knowledge Ariana Grande did not suggest that her fans should stop sending death threats to that 
to the pitchfork journalist um that there was no there was like no suggestion that uh taylor swift's fans should maybe rein it in over the jake gyllenhaal business and again i think that was sort of presented as well you know they're all famous so what is it what does it matter but and I, and I, I'm honestly, when it comes to very, very famous people, I'm a bit like, no, you know what? I, like there, there are lots, of, there are lots of injustices in the world to think about. Like I'm mm-hmm. actually, I don't have the capacity to care that much about what is going on in the Instagram comments of Jake Gyllenhaal's Instagrams. Like I, <laughs> I just don't. Like poor guy, it's it's probably pretty rough for him to be, you know, being sent death threats by a bunch of by a bunch of like 28 year old women who still wear ballet flats like that like <laughs> fine like that's probably very horrible i wouldn't i wouldn't care for it myself I'll, I'll tell you um but i think that i think the um apology video like the way they're talking about it it's like he killed someone <laughs> like they're sitting there in this like kind of sort of somber kind of oh we had no idea that any of this was going on and like and it just the, the just the response just seems a little bit outsized to me even as somebody who has a natural um a natural disapproval of people who um, who make themselves available to a large audience like this? I have to say, I do, I, I do, I don't, I don't think it is a a, a good and healthy thing to do. But like, but just like a kind of a, a throwaway observation, like you can, you can still, I think you can still listen to uh, like the Lost Prophets on Spotify. You can still do that. Uh, I tried. I, it came up on my feed, and you it tried. was really weird. Well, no, because yeah. like, so I was, so, you know, I have a very complicated relationship with the Lost Prophets in the sense that, like, it was the first concert I went to. Um, and I have very good memories of it sneaking out of the house. And then mm. three years later, it is revealed that uh, uh, Mr. Lead Singer of uh, Lost Prophets is not only a pedo, but like an unrepentant pedo. Um, and so I didn't listen to Lost Prophets since then, but not like out of any kind of like, moral or at least kind of initially maybe but like it came so on those like sort of like running playlists uh on spotify Mm. uh those like recommended based on your like listening ones it came up um and i was running on the treadmill and i just suddenly stopped and i was just like 10 seconds in i was like i've got to make a decision whether i'm going to listen to this or not like i can't you know because if it goes on for another 10 more seconds then like am i complicit in this awful crime and I decided to skip it, but like, not actually out of kind of that sense of moral, just because it just felt really weird. I think I, I don't mm. know if the Lost Prophets is like the best example for, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I I don't. I just I the reason I brought up Lost Prophets, I wasn't necessarily le- meaning for you to I'm have saying. a kind of exist for meaning <laughs> meaning you to have an existential breakdown about whether it is still okay to listen to the Lost Prophets. It's more that like yeah. it just like if you compare that with the i think the fairly kind of outsized reaction and i don't really know who this like who this reaction is for Mm. is it gonna stop people cheating on their partners no probably not is it going to like is is this guy going to have like learned his lesson like i think he's like I think he's learnt his lesson from the very (laughs) kind of public opprobrium like this does, does it like does it like help the wife or does it like put her possibly on the hook for 
um, negative and aggressive attention from the fans who might who might blame her for this whole thing blowing up and like blowing up in the first place. Who's it? Who, like who's it for? Unless what they what they're actually saying is we have you know we've run the numbers and we suspect that this is going to this is going to harm our business and harm our bottom line um and so we are uh, so we are no longer associated uh, associated with this man and if that's what they're saying then that's what they should say i like personally i am i don't find it particularly wholesome shall we say uh, <laughs> to be presented with this kind of pretendo feminist like obviously we take lying to women really seriously like oh come on you think you'll lose ad revenue shut up you think you'll lose your brand partnership shut the hell up with your oh yeah like obviously there's a lot of stuff about like how like you shouldn't like date your employees no you shouldn't but that's not why that's not why they sacked him and that's not why they're doing the apology video and yeah like i said they are they are they look like they are giving an explanation to like the grandchild of like a serial killer <laughs> and they're sort of having to say like okay so grandfather did some very bad things and he's going away for a very long time do you have any questions about the bodies they found under his floorboards that's like that's the energy that they're giving off it's it's so strange also, it's five minutes long who's watching a five minute apology Oh, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. I thought that was like on the basis that because like lots of YouTube apologies like go on for like twenty minutes to an hour, sometimes they're longer. Like, wasn't isn't like the appeal of the YouTube vid like apology, but it's so kind of needlessly. <laughs> long. I don't know actually because like I'm thinking who was David uh, David um what's his name Dobrik yes yeah who did that mm -hmm. apology and like compared to all his other videos that he did which were quite like long and sort of bizarre. His apology video about whatever happened, like I can't remember like the scandal, but that was actually not that long. So maybe, yeah, maybe the YouTube yeah. I think I think they get a script in most cases that has been like meticulously written, combed mm. over, and then they just like say the script and get out. But I think <laughs> like for like this, I think especially I think there's like legal stuff going on with like how, with how they're separating from the company, and so I think like they have to stay yeah. on script. Yeah, that's a good quite point. A, quite a lot of the stuff felt very worded by a lawyer like oh when, yeah oh yeah like, like his thing about how like i had a consensual relationship and i was like yes, well yes I, I didn't think that it wasn't do now, i know though. i'm like now you've put do, that in my brain i, I do now though yeah, right. <laughs> or i am wondering whether something like mm, yeah. maybe not like quite legit was going on there just yeah just yeah. because it felt very much like it had been worded by a lawyer to me. So I was thinking about like the aesthetics of the Try, Try Guy video and this, and, and Kate, as you've mentioned, and Phoebe, as you've mentioned as well, like just how kind of controlled and convoluted it sort of seems, especially considering that like the other type of Try Guy content, even though it is also like very controlled and kind of A-B tested and everything, is kind of like presented as being these sort of ordinary like fun relatable and like slightly oafish guys just trying new things out and just like being normal right um and it kind of led me to sort of think about uh kate the piece you wrote about uh like the end of in like the end of kind of mm -hmm. like conventional full-time influences and how some of this was also uh be and how well i guess like how some of like the influencer economy and it's sort of um how it's changing is kind of a reaction to the sense of sort of control that is needed to be be an influencer now 
Um, and we'll sort of go into that in a second. But like one of the things I was thinking about was a video that came out, I think, earlier this week or late last week, um, which was Emma, Emma Chamberlain's uh, Architectural <laughs> Digest video. Um, the architect, arch, Architectural Digest videos are celebrities showing people it's kind of like it's kind of like a yassified MTV Cribs in some way, but without, <laughs> without but without like any of the charm. Um, that's kind of like every time I see one of these videos, it sort of seems to be like celebrities who are showing you around their house, but their house is like meticulous. And mm -hmm. the thing that like I think you've pointed out in embedded pieces, but has also just been pointed out in like other analyses of these videos, which also is like an interesting concept in and of itself, is the fact that like for many pieces in her house, and Emma Chamberlain is like I think one of the biggest. YouTubers on the scene at the moment, if not the most successful YouTuber on the scene at the moment, where she's got like chandeliers that are what like that are kind of sort of aesthetically either bland or kind of ugly, but they're worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff around her house, which like are probably very likely to be part of a sort of brand deal or one that isn't is that is sort of disclosed but not really. But like going around that, like looking around the house, you can sort of I think so. Um, uh, it was put in the Guardian as like her living inside an instagram like so like mm -hmm. her and other influencers like living inside instagram advertisements before we go into the piece i sort of wondered like i wanted to ask like number one whether you've seen the video but also just like the broader trends that we're kind of seeing uh in these types of like in in this type of content anyway like the i i guess of emma chamberlain what's really interesting is that she sort of came on the scene as someone who like just really on the basis of like very little accept her relatability right the idea that she was like yeah. an ex incredibly normal person but then what happens when like you're suddenly you're kind of suddenly living this like very abnormal lifestyle of being like a full-time influencer mm -hmm. uh, your stick is still like trying to sort of be normal. like how are, are we sort of seeing like influencers who are now having to confront the idea that like they can no longer do the whole kind of relatability thing because like it is just that the stuff that they're doing is just not normal yeah, I think because I was kind of because I, I watched the video like really shortly after it came out because like even in my work Slack, people were like, oh, my gosh, have you seen this? And I was trying to think a little bit like what why are we having such a reaction to this other than obviously it's like the most expensive house in the world. But I think it's what you're saying is that Emma Chamberlain's whole career is, is based on YouTube videos um, being relatable, kind of dealing with things like anxiety and depression and kind of being a little bit like, oh, I'm just getting out of bed or like, like very, very, very relatable. And you just kind of quietly watched her houses get nicer in the background, mm -hmm. but it was never, um, it was never as overtly addressed. And especially this one, um, she like has barely lived in it. It's like, she's had it for a while, but she has not lived in it. And she even says in many parts of the video, She'll be like, oh, here's this thing. I haven't tried it yet. Like she, it's been being renovated for, I would say, at least a year. Um, and so she's never done anything this public about her living space. And I do, even though she's obviously known as this very successful influencer, I don't think people, it had never been so colorfully and clearly represented and put in front of us just how rich she is, just how much money she's made. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, how different her why you like she she started as this girl who dropped out of high school and um and you watched because like she was very relatable to just how far she's come from that and i think it's an interesting point right now because it's like okay do fans feel betrayed by that or in some cases i've seen fans they've already they've spent enough time with her 
air quotes around that, um, <laughs> that they're almost it's past like she she could she couldn't do anything to turn them off like they're like there are so many comments on the video that's like she deserves this like this like rags to riches story that isn't really true but that think is kind of like the narrative is appealing and so there are certain people who are like you know what like good good for her but i think for perhaps a layer removed it's I mean, like, I think that that's what the reaction is just like, oh, my God, she is so fucking rich. Like, (laughs) and I don't think we had really ever seen that because that had not ever been part of her personality. Mm. That's interesting as well, because um, I remember a little while ago, um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow getting a lot of flack for Mm -hmm. um, the for like the ridiculous level of um, of the kind of the price points that which she would sell through Goop. And there wasn't much of a discussion about how, like, actually, if this stuff was made with an eth- with like any even remotely ethical supply chain, that is what this would cost. Right, like, that's right. What, like, this is what uh, this is what like this is what a blanket should actually cost if it's not right. built on exploitation of ex- and extractivism. Like, I, like this is the thing. Like, I like I take the I take the extremely no like no fun here line that like if you look at someone who is like hugely hugely rich they are doing it because somebody else is hugely hugely poor Mm -hmm. and i don't think there is such a thing as deserving that level of money i just don't i just don't like you cannot persuade me that somebody somewhere deserves it because it has to be built on these backs no i agree i i i remember i found out like how much money a friend's cast member would just make every time an episode aired or something and Mm. I was like you know at that point you wake up every day and decide not to help people if you're not waking up and helping people yeah I I don't know I think like I think I think that's true and one of the other things that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow got like a lot of stick for was saying do you want me to pretend that I earn 25 grand a year which (laughs) like yeah it's like okay it's a slightly obnoxious thing to say (laughs) but I find Honestly, personally, I find the pretense at relatability far more offensive than mm-hmm. ultra rich people saying, look at the stuff I bought with all my money. I was going to say, like, like obviously, <laughs> the idea of going to goop and then being outraged about the prices, <laughs> yeah, it's like, like <laughs> you're hurting your own feelings. It's like if I like went to Prada.com and was like, this is so expensive. It's like, yeah. well, what was I expecting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's people like it's people wanting to be mad when again, there were just there were just a lot of things to be mad at. Um, yeah. What what I was interested in with um, the tour of Emma Chamberlain's house is like first of all i think it's a really i think it's a really really good example of um something that we've like talked about a lot about how like quite a lot of um contemporary taste making and contemporary aesthetics is is deliberately about whether or not you know how much this thing cost it's like it's it's always like whenever you see these very very rich people's houses the stuff in it is always it's always uncoupled from any sense of aestheticism any sense of craftsmanship all it is is stuff that just costs money and because a lot of it is really ugly it's a way of determining who is who is 
in group and who is out group because if you look at this lamp and go that's that's ugly that's the ugliest fucking lamp i've ever seen in my life then it's because you don't know mm-hmm. and it's the way that and it's the way that the contemporary art world is like allowed to operate as something which is uh which is like in the in the main um utterly kind of devoid of any meaningful aesthetic or cultural content because it is it's it's stuff that's made for swiss reports that's like that's what it is it is to store your money it is to uh accumulate more money and i think it's very interesting for such a young woman with this amount of money to already particularly since there is this idea of her being uh, of it being a kind of rags to riches story and of her being able to so quickly um immerse herself in like that kind of vocabulary and that kind of vernacular so presumably she has like people advising her on like Mm -hmm. the terrible stuff to buy but I just I don't know I kind of wanted to see like a kind of Jane Mansfield kind of (laughs) like kind of pink and gold mansion which is what I would have bought if I had suddenly come into a huge amount of money when I was 22 or whatever like I I think it's a I think it's a shame that everything has to be like Everything has to be bland and and tasteful, but also ugly. I think that's just a real shame. Yeah, I think she she paid because like she did not design it herself. I forget the name of the place, but it was I went to the Instagram of the place. Like she worked with a interior designer that's like very expensive, and they're like posting all these photos. And so that's the thing. And it's not even it's not necessarily even her her aesthetic. It's mm. this this. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I do wonder because I'm just thinking about like if I how I decorated my apartment at that age and I'm like none of that stuff is even in my the one I'm in now. Like it's you change so much. And yeah. she has like corn side tables and a pineapple side table, like all this stuff, a, a permanent ping pong, not ping pong. Well, permanent beer pong table, which she does even say in the video in, in a few years when I'm no longer freshly 21. I will wonder why I bought this. Mm. And it's like, yeah. Oh, one, one, one of one of our fr- one of our friends has has a permanent beer pong table and he's 30 <laughs> i know uh, it's a, <laughs> a certain kind of like i i listen i'd love maybe if that was useful but yeah it's like at a certain point how how much are you doing uh beer pong on a day-to-day basis that it needs to be permanently in your backyard what makes it a permanent beer pong table it's like other other well, the cup, it's the like, cups. The cups have yeah. the cups are the like table. weighted, yeah, and so you just keep them out there. It's not like red solo. Though they're, of course, they're still made, I believe, to look like red solo cups, but okay. they're like weighted and I can't have fly a away. lot of more questions about this. <laughs> but probably this, maybe something for like off, uh, when we're done with the episode. Um, but like, I think one thing I was thinking about, and I think this is like a good way to sort of go into some of the themes that you've been mm-hmm. writing about for a while, is really about like how people are kind of perceiving like the full-time influencer and Mm -hmm. the pressures that like the full-time influencers are currently sort of facing at a time when I guess like platform, I don't know, the idea that like there's an oversaturation of influencers. I think even our definitions of influencers have now changed quite a lot. And you write Mm -hmm. about how, you know, there's kind of what we're seeing because of like economic conditions, but also just because of oversaturation and uh, the kind of conditions that uh, an influencer kind of experiences on a platform, like while when they're not like super famous, means that like the types of influencers that are becoming that are like more have more utility, maybe or like have more resonance of those who like 
aren't full-time influence who are like doing kind of mm-hmm. different things whether it's like different forms of content creation or different kinds of jobs and i wondered whether you could kind of expand on your thesis a little bit more and kind of like i, I don't know like maybe how like what do you kind of see in terms of how we are sort of changing our definitions of what we yeah. mean by influencer and are the kind of like full-time influence you know your emma chamberlains and stuff are they kind right. of moving to a category that is more like a conventional celebrity or do you think they're sort of occupying a different kind of cultural space? Yes, no, absolutely. I was going to say, I think when we think about influencers now, I'd say there there are two categories and there's the side that's like the Emma Chamberlain's, the Jake Paul's, the, the, when I talk about, there are things like I've always been very pro influencing as a job and content creating as a job. And like, um, it is not just, taking a few pictures and wandering off. Like there's a lot you have to do, but that, that applies to a certain type of influencer who is not as famous. Like the reason they have to do all that hustling is because they haven't reached the level of fame where things just kind of happen for them. And when you think about sort of the aspiring influencer, the influencer who's more midsize, like they have to grapple with a lot of stuff that because influencing is all about showcasing a life that is you know, kind of a a more polished version they don't talk about, like, especially in America, an influencer who is doing influencing full time does not have healthcare. Um, They have to pay for it. Um, And they don't like have a 401k that's automatically being added to like, those are all things that they would have to set up or in case of healthcare, like by themselves and healthcare is very expensive when you're not doing it under an employee sponsored plan. Um, And then there's, they're not getting a steady paycheck. Um, even if, you know, people think perhaps rightly in some cases that they're being paid way too much for way too little, that money is not consistent. Um, and it's very much at the whim of the larger economy. You know, like when COVID first hit, um, so many influencers and like the first thing that gets that brands and companies will pull out of is that kind of stuff because it's not integral to keeping the business running. And so like, and and also they're at the whim of the algorithms on platforms like Instagram and TikTok, which change a lot. So like they can be doing really well on TikTok. um, But I was actually reading an article by uh, Charlie Warzel on on the Atlantic today um, about how the way that TikTok's algorithm works is the the addiction is the fact that you don't know whether or not you're going to go viral. And so if you start going viral too consistently, a lot of creators will talk about this. They'll suddenly be like, why am I shadow banned? And like, I don't know if it's necessarily an A to B decision that TikTok makes, but it creators that are successful need to be kept in that sense of, oh my gosh, like I need to make sure I go viral. Um, that doesn't work um, if they've it doesn't behoove the company if they've cracked the code. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these things that when you're influencing on a more full-time, but more just kind of day-to-day, nothing extravagant level, it's a job that takes a lot of work. It's no different really than being like a freelance writer in the sense that you don't know when your next paycheck's coming, mm-hmm. you don't have healthcare, all this stuff. Um, and so it is a job and it takes a lot of work. And But then you just get to the higher, the more followers they have, it doesn't stop being a job, but the stressors that uh, I was describing of like healthcare, or maybe you lose like a, you know, things start to slow down a little bit because of your success, you have a bit more cushion for that. Um, And so even, even if you're, and this is like talking, if you're sort of being inside baseball about it, um, I think what a lot of the backlash, what a lot of the backlash recently comes from is that, 
the influencers who are in these kind of more cushier positions or appear to be um, are making the mistake of complaining, mm. uh, which isn't to say there's not things to complain about. Like I complain about my job, not all the time for any bosses listening to this, but, um, but you know, I, when I usually, if I'm complaining about my job where I just kind of sit and send emails, I'm complaining to other people who sit and send emails. And so mm-hmm. there's not really an issue with that, but like one of the natures of influencing is there's not like a water cooler or a place where you can just sit and be an influencer and complain. Like when they're complaining, they're doing it to their audience who are like across the spectrum of jobs. And that's just like such a dicey thing to do because I would say 80% of them are going to feel like at least 80% are going to feel that that influencer's job is easier than theirs um, just by what that influencer chooses to show, which is very nice, like, you know, hauls, looking nice in makeup, doing nice trips, um, even if they don't show the work behind it. Um, And so I would, so I'd say like, yeah, it's like influencers on the the first tier are hustling is a job. It's like freelancing. Um, but once the, the more successful they get, um, the harder it's going to be for people to empathize or uh, relate to them. Mm. And then that's a real catch kind of 22 that they're in of like Emma Chamberlain got famous because of her relatability. And now she's kind of blown that wide open. And she's also been very um, beloved for talking about her mental health issues and one of the things I'm curious about is like, how is that going to go over the next time she wants to do like a podcast about feeling burnt out or feeling upset in any way? How's that going to go over now that she's kind of shown us like mm. literally the the thousands of dollar bed that she podcasts from? Mm. Um, like, I just I'm curious mm. how it's going to play out in the long run. Um, and if that means she's going to be advised to like pull back on those yeah. things which are the things people love about her. Some of us podcasts from our multi-million pound bed and others <laughs> podcasts from our, from our, uh, our clothes nests. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what you'd have to do to a bed to make it cost that much money. I know. Kate, I'm really, I'm really pleased that you, that you brought up the, um, the question of um, whether or not, uh, whether or not free, freelance influencers get, I, I suppose, all influencers freelancer mm-hmm. to, to an extent um, about whether or not they get healthcare because it's it is really really important to mm-hmm. keep reminding us of the fact that it it's not that easy with any kind of non traditional job even if it's a very well paid mm-hmm. non traditional job and this is something which I am I am constantly constantly forgetting like I I, right. I genuinely. I'm like, I am not able to keep this information in my head um, when it comes to kind of discussing freelance work and kind of labor, sort of labor relations with like with someone from the States. So like when I'm when I think about influencers, I think of I think of UK ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm even Molly May, <laughs> for, for example. So I'm even less so I'm even less likely to extend a certain amount of sympathy. I think that what is interesting about it is when it when it comes to them. Um, sort of talking about how difficult their job is and making it clear that like it isn't like it isn't just kind of swanning around and going to fancy parties I think it's less about whether or not this is kind of a labor issue which I sort of which I don't do I like I do accept I do accept that it's a that it's a job and as I'm as I'm always say, always saying um it's my it's my little hobby horse it's an it's an advertising job mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. people say like, oh well you know they're a business owner they're a this they're a that no 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 they they work in advertising right, right. um mm-hmm. and 
I am, again, I am a boring, old-fashioned leftist on the subject. And I think <laughs> advertising is a bad thing. I, th- I don't <laughs> think it's a good <laughs> thing. I don't think there is any social or cultural good that comes out of comes out of advertising like yeah. i because it is it's just it's just an en- it's just an engine of consumption and an engine of dissatisfaction and it being a lot of young women who have been employed by these brands to say buy this shit as opposed to um a bunch of like square glasses ad agents mm-hmm. in old street it doesn't make any difference to me it's yeah in terms of like in terms of the morality of the industry or you know or lack or lack thereof i also wouldn't dispute that say i'm going to go back to gwyneth paltrow again i'm going to use my gwyneth paltrow <laughs> example like filming schedules are incredibly grueling if you're mm-hmm. in like if you're in a kind of action adventure film you've got to be on this absolutely insane workout schedule you've got to you've got to eat weird like i'm not saying that, the, that this is not like in any by any metric hard work but the to me the outsize returns and remuneration for that hard work makes complaining about mm-hmm. it extremely unchic yes yes <laughs> and and it's interesting what you're saying about the sort of ethics of advertising as an influencer because i wouldn't say i've seen this widespread at all but actually there's a uk creator um named Brittany bathgate and she is stepping back from doing influencing full time, and one of the reasons she cited in a video that she did was the with I think like the energy crisis in the UK and just sort of the mm. other I think I mean all the crises going on. She was like, I just don't feel morally like my job can be to sit here and tell you to buy things. And so she's kind of she's still gonna do some brand work, but um, she got a more traditional day job. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what other considerations went into it, but. It, it felt it felt part of this larger conversation of rethinking like what do we want from our influencers and and it felt really hand in hand with like yeah if your audience is primarily like young UK women um, and you're telling them to buy like shoes from the row uh, like and they're like well okay so I can buy these shoes or I can like have heating this winter it's just it's like oh it's not a good look and um, yeah. yeah and so and I'm, it just seems to be part of it's not just influencers rethinking their work, but I think audiences rethinking like, okay, what do I want from a creator? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I mean, and is it to tell me to buy things because that's what it is right now. And um, I don't think I want that anymore because that's, it, it feels given the political moment that we're all in like such a weird thing to be pu- dedicating brain space to (laughs) my like my kind of understanding and again like anecdotal and also just based Mm -hmm. on like uh as as seems to always be the case like conversations with my like gen z cousins um (laughs) actually like yeah actually you know what even beyond that i think for i i i imagine that there is a certain kind of influencer for whom people kind of but or there are some who kind of like watch it for sort of like relatability or for like you know maybe there's like some degree of like aspiration to to them there's another type of influencer where it's like oh no like their life is like insane and i want to kind of you know and, it, and it's interesting to either observe or be like you know be voyeuristic about it or even live vicariously through that um and i wonder whether like the divisions between like i guess i suppose like what influ- like the i and you alluded to this as well kate like just 
what influences think they should be or like what their role in society mm-hmm. is right now because you know i a, a while ago we spoke uh, again on like on a very early episode about influences about a certain kind of influence that emerges out of uh, like the low interest kind of high tech economy right the idea mm-hmm. that like kind of ever expanding platforms and these kind of false promises of being able to like democratically produce like content in a, mer- in a in a fake meritocratic system but one where ultimately you can be a success story and where people like um emma chamberlain are sort of kind of used by places like youtube as mm-hmm. the kind of like you know if you work hard enough and if you grind hard enough and like you can sort of achieve the same rags to riches story which can get you at the met gala and like jack harlow saying weird things to you um <laughs> and i wonder whether like now it, as we sort of enter and enter an economy where like those things are certainly limited and the idea of like success and celebrity is very much limited and people are becoming like much more aware of that that influencers who sort of want to stay in the game for a long time uh or they want to stay in the game for a little bit longer do have to sort of really rethink their strategies and also rethink like what their purpose is beyond selling stuff and i wonder whether we might kind of see influencers kind of maybe partaking uh, in like being more active in terms of like politics or in terms of like mm-hmm. local politics and stuff i wonder how like and you know going beyond just like sort of sharing instagram slides and stuff i wonder also just like how whether we it might we might see forces from the other direction like influencers who are much more garish and much more um willing to embrace uh opulent parts of the lifestyle uh in order to kind of, I, I don't know. I mean, again, like this is all this sort of speculation. Um, and I, and I kind of wonder, I, I, I suppose like the, the, the kind of question that um, I'm really asking is in terms of where platforms sort of used to try to kind of invite lots of people to try become influencers and like present this idea that anyone can kind of you know, mm-hmm. achieve this like success story. Do, do you think like the new economic climate that we're sort of heading towards and the new climates that like tech companies are facing me will mean that they will also kind of, think about influences in different ways and like what they expect of them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I thought of while you were uh, talking and that you kind of just were mentioning about how the idea is like, oh, anyone can, can do this. And I think it's like something super important to mention that I hadn't yet, which is that like, no, they can't. And not Mm. because they're not working hard enough, um, but because it's like no coincidence that still, the big influencers that we think of and that we name are like white and come from relative privilege already. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think in part they can weather the instability that early an early influencing career uh, has. And, and so the idea that, oh, anyone can do this is super appealing and it's why so many people are trying and why I think it feels so oversaturated. But the idea of like getting lucky and kind of tipping over into that other category um, is a lot of luck and it's a lot of based on um, what you look like. And do you look in a way that audiences, the major audiences who consume on TikTok and YouTube, like do look like what they want to look like, look at. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that tends to bias towards the, the same structures that like, it just upholds the same structures that exist in celebrity Mm -hmm. or in any other like type of work there. It's, it's white, um, so like sample size, thin, um, able-bodied people. Um, and so there, there's that thing, like it's already, it's, it's presented as this democracy when it's just not, um, in terms of like, like what companies 
and sort of tech companies are looking for. I mean, the thing is, like, even though uh, getting to that level of comfortable influencer uh, is is not like the norm because of the sheer number of people trying, I would still say it is oversaturated. And I do think um, the value of an influencer, this is all based on just like anecdotal conversations I've had, but um, I was speaking to a creator recently who says that like what she used to get for an Instagram post versus now what she's offered is like, it's plummeted. Um, And I just think because there's so many influencers, I mean, they've tried so many different things. Like there's the big influencers, there's the micro influencers, there's um, use UGC content, user generated content where mm-hmm. you're not an influencer, but you're making influencer style content in the hope that it gets bought. Um, right. And there's like so many ways around it. But I think like when I think of um, recently, it was uh, Patreon, I think it was wor- working with Lil Huddy or a Lil Huddy-esque TikToker where basically I believe it was the information revealed that what they expected this deal with the TikTokers to bring in um, versus what they actually brought in was like right. wildly different. And it's because, especially on TikTok, a follow is worth a lot less. And yeah. like, you know, it's like if you have a 100K on TikTok, that's like having, I don't know, 5K on Instagram. <laughs> like it's oh, just really? not, wow. it, I mean, that might be a bit, bit more, maybe 10K on Instagram, but still it's just like, you're not, you don't have engaged followers your followers are not as engaged on tiktok as they are on instagram or or on youtube um and so i think yeah the value of working with a creator has changed a little bit you can't just have a creator say i i love this and you should too and like expect it to work you have to get a bit more um creative and i mean there's the whole other thing of usually an influencer when they get to a certain level of success like launches their own brand like Keep coming back to Emma Chamberlain. She has her coffee company that's now very successful, um, but it's still all very geared around buying and advertising. And when you're an influencer, I don't, in terms of like what you do mm. when you reach sort of a level of fame, I think a lot of them get lost because it's like, I mean, not to keep going, Brittany Baskett, who I talked about when she was talking about making this decision, she was like, the only real options in front of me were like this, like, podcast or start a brand or all these things that were just like find a new way to monetize Mm -hmm. and I actually think it goes against not just the influencing industry but like how this sounds like so broad but like how capitalism has like um influenced how we think about success I think to step off like the wheel get out of the rat race is a really hard decision um Mm -hmm. and but, in, but like, yeah, in, unless you want to find another way to get money from people as an influencer, like that's, you're pretty limited in career options, like other than to take a step back, go behind the scenes, like maybe work in consulting with brands or things like that. But I think if you don't want to just keep getting bigger and more exposure and creating more things to buy, mm-hmm. you kind of, you have to take yourself out of the limelight a little bit. Mm. And I can see why you would, you would want to do that because the level of like the level of, of scrutiny um, and the level of fixation that these people receive, which like I said, is on a, on a par with something that people that we might think of as kind of more traditional celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I like personally, I would, I would really, really hate it. <laughs> I would it's not something <laughs> that I would find that I would f- 
find um like a truckload of like identical boxy t-shirts from arcot once a week like i don't that doesn't that to me does not feel like it is worth it um one of the things that i think we might be seeing and i'm interested to see what you think about this is we might be seeing um a bit more kind of greenwashing and mm-hmm. um folk like more of a kind of focus on sustainability but it's still mm. the same stuff and it's still it's still brands trying to find a way in and trying to preserve their bottom line and there is that there's that wonderful um wonderful james baldwin uh, line about how you must be very very careful if you come up with a brilliant slogan because if you come up with a brilliant slogan then anyone can use it and you can't stop them um mm-hmm. that's not a, it's not a direct quote but it is what <laughs> but um it is it is it is what he said and it's and it and it's very very true like if you look at something like if you look at something like uh like nike like nike's co-option of black lives matter a couple of years ago mm-hmm. like you could argue you could argue um and I and I do and I do that this is sort of this is a meaningless statement when um when you look at when you look at their when you look at their supply chains. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything for them to say it. It's completely hollowed out of any kind of um meaningful uh revolutionary or liberatory content. And I think that's what we might be seeing with influencers a bit going forward. So instead of saying like you should buy this tracksuit, it's you should buy this tracksuit because it has been made from it's been recycled a recycled tracksuit um you know i i I bet we're gonna see more of them um when they go on their free holidays uh taking the train and that's like a kind of like Mm -hmm. a new thing like um like people who offer sustainable travel for sale that's going to be something that that they're going to that they're going to be looking for you know the like the faces of this stuff i think there's there's always going to be a way for um for capital to assert itself and for the people who have been selected as the poster children of capital to just carry on that carry on their jobs i think micro influence micro influencers who don't really do anything other than like go to exhibitions and go to parties with like other influencers and like promote drink like drinks brands and stuff mm-hmm. Because there isn't the kind of fairy tale soporificness to it, because it is just a person, like it's just a person that you like might know. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more resistance and a lot more objection to that kind of thing. But I think with the, the, the with the ultra rich ones, they'll either just branch out into into uh, using their platform for good um or they'll or it'll turn into more well this is escapism watching Mm -hmm. this vastly rich person's fucking hideous lamp (laughs) Um, this is like this is like this is a nice kind of nice distraction from Mm -hmm. what my life from what my life is is currently is currently looking like and as you know as we sort of go let's all go ahead with kind of increased um precarity in all kinds of all kinds of ways anything which is sort of presented as sort of quite a nice quite well-paid job it's it it's not very surprising that young people think well that looks nice that mm-hmm. looks nicer than what my mum and dad do which looks horrible right um so so you can't i don't think you can really kind of blame sort of put the blame on young people in the way mm-hmm. that lots of people want to um but um another thing which i think is interesting is seeing different influencers and content creators age out of their 
of her audiences and I think that's something that also we're gonna be seeing a lot of sort of moving forward um because I had this I I really want to do a separate episode on this at some point but I really want to know what happens to the kind of the the bloggers and the youtubers who were unable to make the leap so people who are still sort of doing that kind of work but they Mm -hmm. weren't able to translate to Instagram they were like Oh God! What was her name? Who was Zoella? No, 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 no. The 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 silent film star who had the really strong Polish accent. So when the talkies came in, oh, not Zoella, not (laughs) Zoella. It wasn't wasn't Zoella. Pola Negri, I think it was. Um, But yeah, like I'm interested in like who can't make that leap. And it is interesting the way, particularly in the UK. I don't know if it's the same in the US, Kate, but like. the the big UK influencers all have these very conventional, almost sort of small C conservative lives. And mm-hmm. I always wonder if it if it's actually what they want or if they just realize that, oh, okay, okay, I'm so I'm 29. Um, I can no longer attract like a TikTok audience. Mm-hmm. So I've got to move into uh, interior decorating. I've got to move into family blogging. So I'd better, I'd better get married and have a kid pretty quickish. That's so interesting. You point that out. Cause I hadn't realized that, but yes, like the most successful, like Molly May famously just announced her pregnancy. She's 22. Yeah. Um, or I think somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, when I think about family creators in the U S they're a little bit more, I mean, there's obviously, obviously exceptions to this, but a little bit more, that's not the, they're not family creators because that's like the next step after reaching the pinnacle of success. That's like, that was kind of always their brand. They're a little Mm -hmm. bit more middle America. Whereas I wonder if it's like, and maybe this is a very American view, but I feel like when you're, there's not, I don't really know if there's an equivalent like in the UK of like just moving to LA and being just perpetually rich and hot, which is just like what LA is. Like the LA is not like there's not the concept of retiring to a house outside of Brighton um, to have your kid and switch to mommy content. That is not as much of a thing over. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, I don't know if it just hasn't happened yet, but like, I'm thinking like if when Emma Chamberlain, if Emma Chamberlain, sorry, um, ever is pregnant and has a family, I almost see her being like, that's like keeping it so private in a very like mm. traditional celebrity way. Um, mm. And maybe, maybe, maybe because influencers and celebrities mingle so much more in these cities of like New York and LA, mm. they kind of tend to do more of that playbook. Yeah. I don't know. That's, but that's so interesting. And I didn't really think about it because so many of the UK creators I watch because I've watched them since I was a tween are now like, pregnant or just had kids or and and that's their content now yeah and like obviously I'm not like sort of saying like oh you know they're doing it completely cynically because like that's obviously like an insane way to (laughs) somebody's life decisions but there does seem to be a general sense of I need to have I need to have a plan b and I need to show some kind of adaptability and if your product is your life then you have to like indicate a willingness to be kind of flexible about what parts of your life you're willing yeah you're mm-hmm. willing to kind of upgrade <laughs> if you like yeah. um because it's true like people are not gonna watch like someone in their like in their 30s who do nothing but like but like 
gets like gets sent to Glastonbury by a gin brand like that like they're like they're not like it get it t- it tips over into into obsessing quite quite quickly <laughs> um and it's definitely like it's definitely something in the UK that there are these kinds of sort of visible kind of groups of influencers who exist to kind of who, who kind of exist as a sort of like almost like a kind of Im- I, I would say an influencer union but like they're not really helping mm-hmm. anyone other than themselves but but it's definitely like a kind of visible thing that there are kind of clutches of sort of clutches of influencers mm. who like who boost each other's content and like this is like mm-hmm. again this is not like a criticism like it makes perfect sense to have like a strong network of like content creators i mean like even just like even just like with with the show like we um like our like our friends on other shows like repost our promos and stuff like this is a really Mm -hmm. normal thing because this because with content saturation you need to do what you can to get it as under as many noses as possible it makes sense um but what i think is what i think is definitely something that we'll see sort of going forward with this sort of saturation of this kind of content is that they have to sort of make a decision about whether or not they are going to be famous and you're going to carry on watching them because it is it represents an escape from your not especially nice life or they are going to continue with the oh i am just like you i am just a normal person i'm recommending this to you like i'm your friend like i'm your mm-hmm. sister um and i think that i think that a lot of people are going to um are going to get wise to uh because we've talked about this before on the show about how um, about how afraid uh, influencers often are of having um, having kind of visible politics unless they're kind of approved of brand politics. So you don't really hear of any influencers uh, talking about Palestine or mm-hmm. Yemen or mm-hmm. um, you know etc. Et but you did see a lot of influencers talking about black lives matter mm-hmm. when it had been deemed to be something yeah. that could be co-opted by brands it was a sort of a, it was a sort of safe thing mm-hmm. for them to be kind of publicly in favor of but whether or not that has any meaning is i mean i mean people talk about we've talked about this before about um jamila jamil's idea of like oh well what we need to have is like a so- is like socialist influencers which is so funny it's such a it's such a funny sentence what we need is socialist influencers what is that that's not that's not that's not real shut up <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not a real thing um and i do think i do think that that their audience are going to start objecting to this presentation of yeah but this is sustainable and i think they're going to i think the audiences are going to demand either kind of ultra escapism mm. or um the kind of some of the smaller influencers are sort of going to drop out of drop out of circulation because i think a lot of people are also not no longer persuaded by the and i certainly i certainly i'm I, i'm not and i never was i don't know how you feel about this kate um but there was a definitely a brief period of time uh, where uh, the kind of the, the, the sort of the thought terminating cliche that was used was, yeah, but you just object to this because it's all young women and you're being. <laughs> right, right. And personally, I think that if you're a woman, then 
it behooves you even more to be highly critical of the consumer mm-hmm. culture that is being presented to you. I don't feel any particular uh, need to be browbeaten into not criticizing influencer culture because it's mostly women. That's a, oh bizarre, God, idea. Yeah. That's a bizarre idea. Um, and the other one, and they tried this with Molly May. It didn't work, but they did try it um, with the, you just don't like watching working class young women succeeding <laughs> because they're working class. And like, first of all, Molly is not by any right. reasonable metric working class. Um, but again, I've, I've, I know I've said this before, but it's because we live in such a relentlessly class, classist society and we have such a classist media that people quite often get presented with somebody who is thick and unpleasant and they just assume that this means that they're working class and mm. it, and it and it and it doesn't it doesn't mean that at all it's not that's not a reasonable a reasonable correlation um but i think that or at least i hope that this kind of oh poor people are allowed to have nice things is going to evolve into uh, a way of thinking about it, which is that nice things don't necessarily have to be stuff. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. consumer durables at this unsustainable level of Western consumption, particularly as we go into this period of like collapsing living standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like, in terms of a kind of a global picture, individuals even individuals who are really really struggling are still consuming way way beyond their share and they're still producing way more in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of weight uh, in terms of waste and broadening the level of western consumption so that everyone can do it is going to be an absolute catastrophe for mm-hmm. for the for the future of the planet so I wonder if there's going to be more of an interest in, yeah, sure, of course, of course, poor people should have nice things, but those nice things don't have to be stuff that you can buy and replace mm-hmm. and discard. Nice things mm-hmm. can be more time to nourish your relationships. They could be mm-hmm. time to make art. There could be time to learn about something. There could be time to learn skills or 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 do hobbies or play sport or what like. Or, or whatever, all of these kind of things which make up a nourishing existence, which aren't just about shine halls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to say. That's <laughs> that's me. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> hey, do you have anything else to add, or should we wrap up? No, I think this sounds good. I think the next thing we have to inf- how do we influence just having a nice time with people that would be so nice that would be so nice if there was like I was just about to say wouldn't it be nice if there was like an influencer who their whole thing is just like I try not to like consume more than my share and I just try to like carve out time for myself and my family but that does exist and it's the try guys and yeah Yeah, well, it, 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 it exists in like various forms of like try guys. And the problem, and you know, maybe we should return to this at like another episode in the future. <laughs> but the problem is, is that like lots, there are lots of kind of like influencers, YouTubers, and stuff who start out that way. Um, mm-hmm. And who's still, and his whole, whole thing is still just like sustainable living, uh, eco fashion, all that stuff. And it's kind of, I'm not going to like name names here just because I don't want like fan people to like find me. But. There's like a couple I keep tabs on for whom like started out in that sort of like just doing the whole like mm-hmm. I just want to have like a nice time with people and not kind of focus too much on like buying things. And it's remarkable how quickly that can sort of end up being wrapped into 
a kind of broader influencer economy where you end up like promoting a very like a kind of like consumerist living but using but still kind of using the aesthetics of like i, I don't know i guess it's this it, it's, it's a presentation of like um pro-consumerism but using like socially progressive labels and like mm. you know we've sort of seen all this stuff before and yeah I, I think it'd be interesting at some point in the future to kind of like interrogate that process and to see how that happens um yeah, yeah so maybe something for the list but in the meantime uh yeah we need to wrap up uh so kate thank you so much for uh joining us and coming on we'd love to have you back on in the future yeah this is great but in the meantime um if people want to like read your stuff doing how can they do that yeah, so um, you can read Embedded. We try to do three times a week. Um, it's uh, embedded.substack.com. And then elsewhere, um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't scroll it, um, at mm-hmm. Catherine Fiona, uh, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. It's spelled weird. Um, and it's the same handle over on Instagram, um, where I mostly just post my knitting and pottery. So it's a real mixed bag with me, but um, Embedded is where you want to go if you want to hear a bit We'd more. We'd love about. to see a wholesome Instagram. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm gonna get try guide. They're gonna find oh, something no. out. And they're gonna know I'm not wholesome anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, follow, follow. Uh, yeah, subscribe to Embedded and uh, follow Kate. Uh, you'll get some really good content and some really yeah. If you're interested in this, if if you like enjoy this conversation, you will find a lot more of that stuff in the pieces that we talked about in this episode, and that will be in the show notes as well. Um, Phoebe, do you want to plug anything? Um, yeah, if you would like to hear me talking some more about influencers, you can listen to me and Milo's Seinfeld podcast, which is all about it's all about Seinfeld and his influence <laughs> on Jesus. No, I, 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 that sounded better in my head. Never mind. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's Masters of Our Domain. You can find that on Twitter at Masters of Pod, yep. where we post episodes, etc. This show is produced by Devon. You can follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. And you can also listen to their podcast called James Bond, which is also very good. Also about an influencer called James Bond. Uh, never heard of him before, but um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to like seeing him only eat vegetables for 30 days, which is, I assume is his whole deal. Um, okay, and on that note, on that note uh, uh, we'll wrap up. So uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.